0: You're listening to the Platsky Corner, your podcast home of Capital Region sports news and interviews. Welcome into episode one of the Platsky. Joey Platsky alongside my brother Jason here. Our first interview today is going to be the Adam Zabrowski interview, the first official guest of the Platsky Corner with Jason. Welcome on to today's episode.
1: Awesome. Great to be here, Joe. Very excited that this is our first kind of official episode, uh, beginning our interview series. The whole reason, at least in my eyes, why we've begun this series and uh, this Adam Zabrowski interview we'll get to a little bit later, but an absolute incredible start, at least in my opinion, again, to our interview series, and I'm very excited to uh, hear what he has to say about his journey to his uh, spot where he is today.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. Great interview with Adam. Um, about an hour long, so we got a couple segments to get into before we get into that. So, Jay, let's start it off here. Um, around the
1: five. Yeah, so we'll start off the around the five segment with a little touch on the U Albany football team. Uh, had a 16-14 loss to the University of Rhode Island this past Saturday. Their sixth largest crowd in KC Stadium history. It had eight thousand one hundred and forty-four over five thousand plus students. A uh, tough back and forth game. I was in attendance for the Great Danes, obviously, uh, as we've been for our last few years. Um, and a couple miscues with uh, some drop snaps, some bad penalties, and ultimately it cost them in their close loss to Rhode Island. Um, but Jeff Undercall for twenty of thirty-six for two hundred and seventeen yards, um, and Carl Moore for the two stars, twenty-six for seventy-eight with a touchdown. So. Uh, not not some great stats from the offense they're a little sluggish to begin the season I mean the offensive line is very green they're very young coach Greg Gattuso has made that you know kind of aware of that as the season goes on hopefully that offensive line will gain some experience they'll become a little bit better and hopefully Jeff Underkoffler will have some more time to throw Karl Morpher will have some more yards to gain because for those that know Karl Morpher and have seen him play he's a very elusive back he's very shifty and uh, he hasn't had a lot of time to find those holes so far in the first two games so not a great start for the Great Danes, at least offensively for, through their first two games. Um, but they're off to Syracuse this weekend for a big start against a tough ACC opponent.
0: Yeah. Coach Gattuso and this U Albany staff did not make it easy on this U Albany team in these first three games, matching up North Dakota State and Syracuse in the first three weeks. So this team's really put to the, put to the test and going through the ringer in these first three weeks. And then hopefully from there on out, it, it's some easier opponents and the team just. Battles through the fire and gets better with it. Um, so, yeah, like you said, big game coming up with Syracuse coming off a 17-7 to loss at home to Rutgers and a 29-9 to win at Ohio in week one. So, big game for the Danes in the Carrier Dome this upcoming Saturday. Jay, I know you're going. Um, do you have any thoughts on what the Danes need to do going into that game or what to expect from them? Yeah,
1: well, I think you're. it's going to be interesting to see how Syracuse responds. Obviously, they lost to a Rutgers team that, Hasn't had a lot of hype around their football program in a long time. And so they're coming off a 17 to seven loss that was at home. We'll see if we get a motivated Syracuse orange, or if we get a team that's maybe still a little bit sluggish coming off that home loss. Um, but like you mentioned, Joe, definitely a tough start to the great day schedule their first three games at North Dakota state at home against Rhode Island, a CAA opponent and then at Syracuse. Um, and even talking to some people that I know, even saying that this Rhode Island game was almost like a must win. You have to, You know, at least try to salvage one out of the first three weeks because you're most likely not going to beat North Dakota State, which they didn't. And then you're most likely not going to beat Syracuse, which will obviously coming up this Saturday. But tough start to go 0-3 and have hopes to make the playoffs. You almost have to put yourself in a situation to run the table and win out. But this Great Danes team has the talent. Um, They're definitely uh, in a good position, I think, to possibly, you know, gain some experience through these first three games. Use it as kind of like a preseason to the rest of their season, and hopefully build on some momentum. You know, try to find some good pieces through those first three matchups, and hopefully put the puzzle together for the rest of the schedule.
0: Yeah, I know I saw on Twitter from uh from Coach Cuttuso about thanking the fans and the crowd for coming out because you know it was such a big crowd, over eight thousand people, over five thousand those being students. So great crowd. Usually when you have that big of a crowd come out, especially against a team like Rhode Island that you would definitely want to beat and you expect to beat. Um, you know, with that big of a crowd and underperforming like that, he's just begging the fans to bear with him. And this this is a team that very easily might end up 0-3 this time next week. So I guess we'll see how the Danes fare this week. But another local football team here on the Division III level, RPI football. 14-10 win versus Stevenson. George Marinopoulos, QB1 there, Gillerland grad. Um, game-winning pass with 34 seconds left. So the Engineers now moved to two and zero with two nail-biting wins. The other was twenty-one to twenty versus Montclair State. So these RPI Engineers have been playing in a couple of really close games. First against Montclair State, now against um, Stevenson. But George Marinopoulos trying to lead the boys and the Engineers through, and RPI football playing some tough games right now in, in Rensselaer
1: yeah i think uh as the listeners of our podcast will get to know over these next few weeks hopefully with the fall season and football kind of in its prime uh, we're big gilderland guys and we'll definitely do our best to touch on george over at rpi maybe we'll go look at Stephen for over at western new england we'll touch on a little lo- uh, on a few local products especially that come out of our school and that's gilderland but like you said qb1 george Marinopoulos, he's our guy was uh my graduating class qb and a uh, you know, definitely a guy that showed in high school that he could you know, really have the arm talent to play at the next level. He's put together a really successful career at RPI. He's gone back this year as a fifth year being a grad student, uh, obviously got that extra year with last season being canceled because of the pandemic. So uh, two nail-biting wins. Um, I'm sure he's, he's definitely played a big part in that, not only being the quarterback, but also being the captain. Um, and it's awesome to see RPI off to a good start because, uh, you know, RPI and Union, both teams on the D3 level here have can kind of get the wheels turning a little bit and they'll have some good football in the fall.
0: Yeah. Now this upcoming Saturday as well, the Engineers are going to hit the road and take on Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Two thirty kickoff this Saturday, September eighteenth, in the Transit Trophy game. WPI comes in at one and one with wins over Worcester State and a loss against Endicott. So the Engineers are going to hit the road and on the Division three level as well. Jason, touch on the the other team here.
1: Yeah. So Union on the other side of uh, the Albany area heading out towards the Schenectady area. Union's 2-0, but as opposed to the two nail-biting wins that their RPI rivals have, there are two blowouts. Uh, 48-14, huge week one win over Morrisville State. And this past Saturday, another dominating performance, 62-13 at Worcester State. So uh, absolutely demolished Worcester this past weekend, had 514 total yards. Worcester State only had 136. And Union had 484 total yards in week one. Um, they're definitely a team that has got the firepower going early. They're a very veteran-experienced team, um, and they're another uh, team that's led by a veteran quarterback and, and Bellamy over there. So uh, Union's awesome to see uh, how they're performing so far, and uh, hopefully they can get the wheels turning again on another big season. And, uh, you know, they're definitely in a, a powerhouse, it seems, over there in the Schenectady area, like you mentioned, and uh, they play some fun football, I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah, Will Bellamy's having a great year over there at Union then also on the receiving end. Andre Ross Jr. has 11 catches, 205 yards. Robbie Tolbert has 137 catches for, or sorry, not nine catches, I should say, for 137 yards. And they have four or they have multiple guys over here averaging well over 10 or 11 yards per reception. So the Union football team playing real strong and blowing out opponents and their next opponent coming up this week is going to be Springfield. This Saturday, September 18th, 430. It's going to be at the Frank Bailey Field over on the Union campus. So that's going to be a little game here in the hometown. Next up here, Jay, I'm hearing rumblings. Andrew Playtech to Siena. Mark Singlaas also tweeted out that Playtech is enrolled. Did not get a comment from him, but there's talks. I I had it originally. I've heard around campus at Siena that Andrew Playtech Maybe bring, maybe coming home and going to Loudonville and playing for the Sienna Saints men's basketball team this upcoming winter. And what a story that would be with Andrew Platek returning home. Has
1: done a uh, solid job at North, at North Carolina. He wasn't a spectacular player or a star by any means, but he was a guy that was more of a grinder, gritty. You know, went out there, played hustle minutes. You know, wanted to, you know, to dive on the loose balls and make the hustle plays, and you know, give him some good energy. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what his role is for Sienna. Let's say he he plays this season um, as they only return six guys. Uh, they lost their top three scorers in Manny Camper, Jalen Pickett and Jordan King. And their top returner is Jackson Sturmo at 10.8 points per game. And he's an inside guy. So they need some uh, perimeter scoring. They only returned 23% of their uh, three-point field goal attempts this last year. So we'll see what Playtech does. Does he you know, join the offense and is a guy that, can shoot the ball. You know, we obviously saw that, that he could do that at Gilderland. He's done that at Northfield, Mount Herman, you know, it's kind of what got him to the next level. And uh, I saw him play a little bit of summer ball this year in a, a summer league. He's a guy that can still shoot it. He still has the touch. I don't think it's a thing you lose, especially for a guy like Andrew Platek who, you know, puts a lot of work in and, and you know, takes a lot of pride in that offensive side of his game. So uh, two players make up 70 of their 73 uh, field goal attempts that they returned from last season. And Nick Hopkins who went 18 to 48 and Aiden Carpenter who went six to 22. So uh, Stormo had two, I think Robert Mahala had the other one. So they need perimeter scoring. They need a lot of help, especially losing guys like King and camper uh, and Pickett as well. So we'll be interesting to see the role he has. Uh, if he's in the green and Gold this season. Um, and it will be interesting to see if uh, the Gilderland connection brings some more fans out to the times union center as well.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Like you said, how he was at UNC and turned into more of a grit and grime guy and I think he, he might have cracked into the starting rotation, definitely got a lot of minutes as a sixth man. But I remember talking about how he was getting plenty of minutes at UNC and the rebuttal being that um, that it was one of UNC's worst teams ever under Roy Williams, and Playtech wasn't there for for the golden years of Roy Williams, let's say. so. But it looks like Playtech, I mean, Sienna needs guards. Like we said, Camper, Pickett, King are all gone. When your top returner coming in is a big man, or your top returner in scoring, I should say, is a big man. And Jackson Stormo at almost 11 points a game, you're going to need a lot of perimeter scoring. And Playtech definitely still has that shooting touch in him. And, I mean, if you combine the story of a kid that went out to UNC coming back home and a kid that can shoot the lights out like he can, especially if Playtech comes to Siena, it's going to be a big draw for the Saints this upcoming winter. Story to keep your eye on. It's not officially set that uh the play tech's going to be on this men's basketball squad but i had it originally that i was hearing some buzz around it mark singlay has said he's enrolled so I, i'd expect in this next week or two that um the andrew play may be coming home
1: yeah and yeah, siena does have a scholarship to offer for this upcoming season so that's something to keep an eye on too you're not necessarily going to give it away if you're coach Carm, because you know you might want to keep it for a guy who might be coming into next year's class or a couple years down the road but if Playtech is going to join their program this year, he's only going to have one year left eligibility-wise. He's still got to apply for a waiver and get approved by the NCAA. So it wouldn't make sense to use it on a guy like him who's only going to be there for one year anyway, barring some sort of you know injury or uh, extra circumstance. But uh, we'll see if it happens. It'd be interesting to see if he joins the offense and the role he'll play. Um, and it will be interesting to see the connection and uh, how his role fits in Coach Carm's offense.
0: Yeah, I know so, so many Siena fans that love the local talent. I mean, just a couple of years ago, Elijah Burns was there, a local kid. And now Playtech may be coming in and, you know, it'd, it'd be great for the Siena fans to be able to root for some local talent. It looks like Andrew Playtech is probably coming home. It's not not official yet. but We'll keep you updated with that on here. And uh, Jay, Albany basketball schedule release. Yeah, so Albany basketball
1: just released their schedule at the beginning of the month. Um, definitely an exciting time for the Great Danes over at the University of Albany, another program that we spent a lot of time around um, and some big games on their schedule. Uh, They open the season at home against Towson University may not be that big of a draw, but when you know Antonio Rizzuto is not going to be suiting up for the Tigers, that should uh, bring out some more fans. And that's going to be an interesting dynamic for me since I'm going to be wearing my great Danes number zero Jersey, which uh, he wore proudly at the University of Albany. So a little kind of interesting dynamic there. Um, And they also play at Kentucky at Yale. Kansas State, and Boston College. So Dwayne Killings is coming in. I'm not sure how many games he inherited from Coach Brown in previous contracts, but he is going to be putting his team through the ringer. Uh, They only have four non-conference home games. They go through a stretch from like mid-November towards the end of December where they play one home game in a month and a half. So it is going to be tough. We'll see early on what this great Dane's team can bring. And there's definitely a lot of questions. Another team that doesn't have a lot of returning talent from last year and uh, especially heading into conference play as well, they open up at Vermont. So that's always a challenge for the Great Danes. It's going to be a very tough matchup. And we'll see what happens with Dwayne Killings'
0: team in year one. Yeah, there's plenty of turnover with this Albany men's basketball team, not just on the roster and the guys in the court, but also with the coach, Dwayne Killings. And we'll see how lo- or how his team comes out. In the uh, the opener against Towson, like you said, it's going to be interesting because most, I'm sure most you Albany students that are new or that didn't get to go to games last year, of course, don't really know who Rizzuto is unless they're friends with them or have been there for a couple of years. But a lot of people that are going to be in the building for that game, except the the diehards like you and the boosters and whoever else it may be, probably don't really know that Rizzuto is a local or has been with this team before.
1: Yeah, one thing I want to touch on there with the students. You, so we, we talked about earlier had you Albany football had 5,000 plus students out at their se- season home opener this past week against Rhode Island. That 5,000 number would overfill the Sefkir Arena. So you have to think about that, that this program, especially in recent years, has trended downwards in student attendance so much that they closed one section of the student section, like the other half, the, the south end zone, um, and they put the baseline club there. So uh, I know that, you know, Coach Killings has done a, a really – You know, he's really keen on on, uh, connecting with the campus community, trying to get students to come out for their games starting in November, Uh, the alumni, staff, you know, the local areas as well. So uh, it'd be huge if you Albany could even take a fifth of that 5,000-plus number and put that in Suffolk Arena because you talk about home court advantages, and when you Albany – when Suffolk Arena is packed and when it has a lot of students – it is up there really probably with Vermont as the top two home uh,
0: court advantages in the whole America East. Okay, so why do you think that is you Albany you Albany football drawing 5,000 in the home opener? How do you think that even happened? How do you think Co- coach Catuso and the staff got 5,000 kids into that game?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, First of all, the weather. It was a beautiful night Saturday night, so I think it's you know obviously it's it's a huge help that football at least in the beginning of the season will have you know Friday or Saturday night games, Saturday night games where the weather is really nice and kids can go outside and they can hang out and get some fresh air or whatever, and it's no charge and you can watch some football. There's a the fireworks at halftime, so there's the dynamics like that, um, and obviously in the winter time it's going to be snowing, it's going to be thirty. You're bundled up in your dorm room. You don't want to go outside. You're not going to make the truck to Sefti Arena, especially if you're not really all that interested in basketball. So I think the weather is probably a big part of it. I think COVID also probably plays a big part as well. Obviously there were no fans allowed on UAlbany's campus last year for any sporting events. Um, I know I was, you know, one of a few people that would go out and watch the football games outside Bob and Bob Ford Field and Tom and Mary Casey stadium. But, you know, there was no one allowed in. So I think a lot of hype came back from this season. You know, fans want to go out. They want to cheer on their team, support their school. Um, and we'll see if that translates to the winter, if that can uh, momentum can roll on and uh, fans want to come out and see their great things on the hardwood.
0: So what I'm getting out of all of that is Dwayne Killings needs to have a, a firework show at halftime for the home <laughs> opener. I don't know how Mark Benson will pull that off in Seth's
1: arena. I'd be awfully impressed. Um, I don't know Listen, if you can do it end up do it on the stadium field and then, you know, just have everyone walk over.
0: Or just play a video
1: of fireworks in the jumbo, John. You could. I don't know how exciting fans will be because of that, but I mean, hey, if it gets the students out and it gets Steph arena packed, I am all for it. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see not only how this team draws, but how they perform. And the expectations are packed on Coach Killings. We'll get into this a little bit more once we get closer to basketball season, but he is been hired to come in and win um there's expectations for this program to turn it around have some more success than they've had the last couple years and uh i think he's you know fully expecting to take on the challenge and uh, i think he's you know just as excited to get rolling come november 9th as
0: he was when he took the job a few months ago yeah we're about a month and a half away from opening night at the Q arena we'll have plenty of you albany men's basketball coverage as that season gets closer definitely a team will be keeping our eye on But Jay, let's roll it in here into stat of the week.
1: Yeah. So, another cool segment I think Joe and I are going to do here, uh, kind of before our interviews, is stat of the week. And uh, just kind of touching on a couple of things that we may have seen in the past week or so, or, you know, in the recent news about this in the sports world. Um, And for me, my stat of the week that I saw was Paul Rabel, uh, the lacrosse goat, according to a lot of people. He announced his retirement from professional lacrosse at least his on-field career he's still going to have a very long and very you know hopefully successful off the field career with the PLL he announced his retirement yesterday um, and a cool stat that I saw on Axios Sports was that when he was drafted in number one to the Boston Cannons in the 2008 Major League Lacrosse League draft his his rookie wage was six thousand dollars Um, and now average player salaries for the PLL are north of 35,000 and they're rising every year so that was one thing that uh, Rabel and his brother Mike, you know, took into account when they started the PLL was needing to provide kind of full-time salaries and, you know, income that guys can live off of. Because a lot of guys, in, when they were playing in the Major League Lacrosse, they had full-time jobs. They were working, you know, Monday through Friday, and nine to five. You know, they couldn't live off their lacrosse, you know, salaries, obviously. You know, you're only making 6000 10000 whatever a year. You can't survive off of that. So uh, that's something that they, you know, have definitely taken into account. Um, And it's awesome to see that lacrosse is growing and they've uh, really inherited that into their, um, you know, kind of foundation of their league. Um, And it's exciting to see the PLL continue to rise, continue to grow and uh, should be an exciting championship game this coming Sunday. Yeah, we've definitely
0: seen lacrosse take off, obviously, since Paul Rabel came in in 2008 in the major, major lacrosse league. Now in the PLL with that salary being up there, the TV deals and lacrosse really taken off in the past 12, 13 years. Yeah, and he was, uh, back in 2013,
1: he was deemed Bloomberg's first million-dollar man, lacrosse, lacrosse's first million-dollar man, I should say. Um, he's, you know, he, he really rose with social media. He brought on, still has a number of sponsors. So, uh, you know, he's really helped grow lacrosse to the next level, and uh, he's definitely still going to continue doing that, um, even as we go into,
0: uh, you know, his post-playing days. Yeah, I have uh, I have two stats the week here, Jack. So I okay. put one on here. The other one, I'm going to turn into a little, a little trivia for you. Okay. First one, Adam Wainwright is the first St. Louis Cardinals player to have a 16-plus win season at age 39 or older since Pete Alexander in 1928. Adam <laughs> Wainwright has been shoving for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. His ERA sub-3. He's had an unbelievable amount of shutout outings. I believe he's top 15 in an ERA in the MLB. The guy's 39 years old. And if the St. Louis Cardinals somehow make the NL wildcard game, they're right in the race right now. Personally, I think it's still going to be uh Dodgers Padres, or yeah, Dodgers Padres. But if the Cardinals make it, they're right in the mix right now. If, if Wayne Wright takes the bump at 39 years old, it, it's going to be history. He's, he's old. He's still chucking. And, I feel like Wayne Wright and Yadier Molina, I'm not sure what the stats on it are, but I feel like with the short history of the wildcard game, they'd have to be the oldest pitcher catcher duo.
1: Yeah, and it's been incredible to see Waino have the season he's had. You know, he's a guy that had a really, you know, solid career up until a few years ago when he started suffering injuries and he didn't have the longevity and, you know, the durability that he has, you know, he had previously, but he's really turned it around this season like you said to have 16 plus wins a sub 3 ERA. Uh, to you know, do it at the age of 39 is incredible. Especially, you don't see that so much nowadays. You know, guys have kind of shorter shelf lives with you know arms and shoulders and elbows. So to see Wayno have the season he's had this season, um, and hopefully, you know, kind of get a second win in his baseball career. Um, hopefully he can have some, a few more, you know, seasons of success. Um, you know, we know Yadier Molina's last season's most definitely coming next season. So uh, we'll see, hopefully we'll have, you know, we'll see Wayne. have a, a solid finish to this season and put together another great year next year.
0: All right, Jay, my other stat of the week here. Um, so as of right now here in 2021, we're recording this on September 15th, Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller are two teammates in the Dodgers. They're top three in ERA in the MLB. Um, so I didn't feel like looking all the way back and finding the last pair of teammates that were two of the top three, who, who is the last pair of teammates to be two of the top five ERA leaders in major league baseball, two of the top five ERA
1: leaders in major league baseball. Yes, sir. Um, can I go? I feel like it's too soon. I want to say Chris Carpenter and Adam Wayne right back and like the two thousands, but I feel like this is like an older stat that you're going like way back a little bit farther on. Um, I'll give,
0: I'll give you a hint. You, you would know the two guys. It's, it's more recent than you might think. It's more recent than Chris Carpenter and Adam Wainwright. I'll say that. Okay. And so two of the top
1: five ERAs in baseball and in, in this uh, full single season. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, let's see.
0: Is it the and Syndergaard? Maybe 2017. Max Scherzer again with Steven Strasburg. Ah, uh,
1: yeah, poor Stephen Strasburg and uh, the injuries,
0: man. Those are killing him. But that was a fun season for the Nationals. Scherzer's got a chance to be and to to be him and a teammate in the top five in ERAs in twice in five years. If him and Bueller finish this, finish the rest of September pretty strongly.
1: Yeah, and he's he's arguably going down as the best trade deadline acquisition of all time. Uh, His numbers with the Dodgers have been lights out. He has just been an absolute ace like we know he is. Um, And he's obviously, you know, one of, if not like the most enjoyable pitchers to watch in all of baseball. Uh, He is so fun to watch every time he takes the mound, whether it's his stuff or just uh, his energy that he brings. Um, He's just incredible to watch. And uh, Walker Buehler as well, one of the rising stars, not only from the pitching side, but in all of baseball.
0: I want to leapfrog off that with Max Scherzer being so fun to watch with both his stuff and his attitude. It feels like almost every single time he takes the mound, there's just a feel that he might throw a no hitter that day. It it feels like he's, he's one of very few and honestly, probably the only guy in all of major league baseball that every single time you check the probable pitchers in the morning for who's throwing today, you see Scherzer on there and his 2.2 ERA. I think it is right now. And, it's just like, is he throwing no hitter tonight? He might. We'll see, but he might.
1: Yeah, um, he almost he almost threw one the other night too. So it definitely speaks to you know the dominance he's had and what you're saying with uh, his ability to go out there any night and just absolute shove. So uh, you know, obviously, I think he's gonna you know help the Dodgers hopefully propel them into the playoffs. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, who Dave Roberts turns to and what would be the wild card game and who gets the ball.
0: Yeah, I'll say that the Dodgers are a dangerous team in the wild card. whether you have to face Scherzer or Bueller. I'd assume you go Scherzer. But if if the Dodgers end up in that wild card game, they're in the mix right now with the Giants, the Padres, the Cardinals. And it, it may be three NL West teams to make that playoff. And we'll see how that goes. But let's get into the next segment here, Jay. The backstory. We're going to start to get into our Adam Zabrowski interview, the feature interview on today's episode. Um, So I'll get into a little bit here personally how uh, how I met Adam was – through the Albany Dutchman this past summer. Um, I remember doing a, um, I did all the, the player introduction interviews about April, March or April last year. Um, and I, I specifically remember, don't get me wrong, the Albany Dutchman, every guy on, on the team this summer, both before the interviews, during the interviews, after the interviews, during the season, all phenomenal guys. They were all nothing but amazing to me. Um, before the interviews, I'd always ask each guy, Um, if they had any questions for me and you know, you'd get the, the, the typical, when's this going up? Um, is this just video or is it, or is this video along with audio? Um, what kind of questions is it going to be kind of, kind of stuff like that. Some guys would talk more before the interviews than others, just how their, their personal nature is. Um, I'll tell this story a million times, but Adam was the only guy, I believe I interviewed about 40, 45 guys. He was the only guy that said, tell me a little bit about yourself. What, you know, what's your name? Where do you go to school? Where are you from? Stuff like that, and it made the interview a good amount easier, knowing that he was—I don't want to say he was as interested in me, because I was super interested in him with with the with the, the year he was having at Fisher last year. But we we formed a pretty solid relationship over the uh, the few weeks he was with the Dutchman and heading into it and after. And I noticed a pattern with the Dutchman that all the guys were great, but the guys who were over the top to be nice and outgoing to both me and my broadcast partner, Brian Rudman, and the rest of the intern staff were also the best guys on the team. And, and I feel like that's not really a coincidence.
1: Yeah. And and kind of, you know, piggybacking off of that. I think a lot of times when you look back through Dutchman history and you kind of look at the record books, it's not a coincidence either that some of the nicest guys were some of the best players too. Um, you think about guys like, you know, my opinion, Nick Chaffee who had one of the best starting pitching seasons of all time. He's you know, still a guy that I talked to to this day, it's been you know five summers since I, I met him. Um, you know, guys like Michael Fitzsimmons and Zach Remillard, and Anthony Marks, you know, guys that had all-time Dutchman seasons, you know, they are some of the nicest guys. And I think that's you know, not only with the Dutchman, but kind of you know, really kind of goes for every relationship that you have. It's you know, people are always gonna remember how you make them feel. And so even now, Joe, when you're you know, 40, 50, whatever, and you ever hear their name or run into Adam Zabrowski or whatever. You know, you're going to say, hey, you know, back when I was, you know, interning for the Dutchman in the summer of 2021, you know, he was the only guy that really asked about me and was interested in who I was. So, um, you know, Zebo, I think a lot of people get to know, um, you know, in this interview, you know, a great guy. He was awesome to talk to. You know, he talked a little bit with us before. You know, I, I've never met him. So he was, you know, interested in, you know, me as well. And, you know, kind of lo- getting to know each other a little bit and after the interview as well. Um, you know, you touched on it. It's over an hour interview. He could have been tired and exhausted and gave horrible answers at the end and then said, okay, it's over. Good to see you guys. I'm out. But he gave great answers all the way through. He was tremendous. He, you know, gave us, us his time so freely. And afterwards he spoke with us for like five, 10 minutes and was just hanging out with us. So Zebo was an awesome interview and, uh, I'm excited to uh, have the audience listen to it here coming up in a few minutes.
0: Yeah. So it was obviously our first interview and we want to get really in depth with all the guys we interview, go through their high school, their college, and with Adam is professional and career now and the draft and everything like that. Um, one thing about the interview with Adam is going into it. We, we really had no idea how long it was going to be. We just kind of wrote down our questions. It was our first interview. We said, let's see where it takes us. If we can tell he's getting bored, we'll, we'll kind of rush through. If, um, if it seems like he wants to keep going, then we'll hit every question we have. And it seemed like he he got more interested. I mean, he was interested from the start, but it seemed like he got more comfortable and more outgoing as it went on. And like you said, we we interviewed him for, I think it was about an hour, give or take a few minutes. I think it was 66 um, minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So a little over an hour. And then after that, it wasn't just, okay, like you guys done recording. All right. See ya. I'm out. It was. He sat there. He showed us his apartment. He showed us his, his dorm room, his apartment. I don't really know what you'd call it at the yeah. facility, but he showed us that. He talked to us a little bit more about w- what's been going on with him. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was great. And I, I hope I would love nothing more than if every guy afterwards is treats us and gives us the attention the exact same way Adam did. And it's a great interview, great guy, and very relevant guy in, in the sports world, and especially in Albany right now.
1: Yeah, and uh, definitely piggybacking off of that too, Joe. You know, this interview is, it's about a month old. We all off to a little bit slower start with this podcast than we had expected. So uh, some of the topics we t- touch on and dates may be a little outdated, but, um, you know, once again, just an incredible interview. We thank Adam very much. Um, and we want to congratulate him as well, because uh, not long after the interview, he got called up to low A Augusta. So uh, he touched on that a little bit in the interview and, you know, his expectations for the rest of the season. So he's now got about, 15 games under his belt. He's played a little bit up at Augusta um, and he's kind of moved up a little bit in the chain as well. So um, things may be a little bit outdated in the interview, but nonetheless, we want to thank Adam very much for his time, Uh, Wish him the best of luck and, uh, you know, congratulate him on uh, the next steps in his baseball career.
0: Yes. With that being said, let's send it in to the interview with Adam Zabrowski, CBA grad, St. John Fisher product, and now professional baseball player, Adam Zabrowski. We now want to welcome on CBA grad, 2021 Division Three Baseball Player of the Year, and recent Atlanta Braves draftee, Adam Zabrowski. Adam, thanks for being guest number one on the Pulaski Corner, and thanks for joining Jason today.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: So first off, obviously um, you're down in Florida now, playing in the Braves system. Give us an update on where you are and what this 2021 season has been like for you so far.
2: So I'm in Northport, Florida, right now, um, Venice area, and. I'm playing in the FCL, the Florida Complex League, Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, It just built us up and kind of me and a couple of the other draft picks. um, They're just kind of building us and working us into the regular rotation and now pretty much playing every other day. It's been honestly a lot of fun um, the whole year from school ball to Dutchman in the summer and now into this, you know, three separate teams. But it's been a lot of fun meeting everybody and. And just kind of becoming a lot closer with people from all different backgrounds.
0: Yeah. Is there anyone in particular you're kind of meshing with whether, I mean, whether it's some guy from across the country or in our backyard, anyone really standing out to you so far?
2: Um, One I I became a lot closer with is um, a fellow division three guy that's here, Caleb Durbin. He's from Chicago area and and me and him down here have become a lot closer, but I'm also working with a lot of the Latin guys um, that are down here. It's, I'd say it's, we're the minority um, English speaking guys and um, learning Spanish has been difficult, but it's something you do just being around those guys. And it's been a lot of fun to, to pick up things on their culture and understand them a little bit more.
0: Yeah. How's that, that uh, the language barrier and the new cultural diffusion kind of thing going for you down there too. So you're working on your Spanish.
2: <laughs> it's been difficult um, in, in the sense of me being a catcher and having to communicate with a lot of pitchers that, really don't speak English or don't understand much of it. But thankfully we have a manager who's bilingual and a couple of guys on the team are bilingual. So they'll translate for us. But anytime I'm not in the game and stuff, I do like talk to those guys and just try and learn kind of their lingo and different things that they say, just different cues to pick up on to kind of understand what they're saying.
1: Yeah, what's that been like for you getting to work with guys that, you know, you may have to overcome that barrier that you've maybe never faced before and and having to, you know, try to learn their lingo and maybe they're trying to pick up on you and, you know, maybe there's, you know, some sort of pretty major disconnect going on there.
2: I've said it too from the beginning, I think there's some guys that end up going to Augusta, which is low A and there's not as many Latin guys there. I said, I think it's a good thing to be down here, especially being a catcher, because you're going to run into guys like that throughout your career that don't speak much English, don't understand much English, and you need to find different ways to communicate with them, whether that be like showing them different things or, you know, just putting different, it's almost like a puzzle, like you're putting different pieces together and just trying to, to piece together sentences. And it's been honestly a, a good experience. It's, I think it's honestly helped me mature. Um, a little bit to understand you're not, not every, not every time you talk to somebody, it's going to be, you know, not everybody speaks English, obviously. So you have to find different ways around, like you said, that barrier.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So like we mentioned earlier, you won the division three player of the year award this year, you came into the summer played with Albany Dutchman. You had a pretty good season and then you end up getting drafted by the Braves. Have you had a minute to kind of just soak it all in and appreciate, you know, what this experience and what the season has been like for you and where you are now, or, has it kind of just been like one huge whirlwind almost?
2: It's, I, you know, like you just said, I, I think it's been a big whirlwind. It's everything's kind of meshed together from my school season to summer ball and into this because everything's just been one after the other. And I think when I'll really start to let it sink in is when I get back home and I see my friends at school and my friends at home and and really understand like how amazing this year has been and how grateful I am to just even have this opportunity to be here Um, it's been a lot of fun and you know I couldn't have done it without a lot of my family and friends and their support and you know but yeah I just haven't really been able to take a step back and just from the outside look at it and you know be appreciative of everything
0: yeah so I mean you were only home for what it was about a month between coming home from Fisher and heading down to Florida but how how was that Mm -hmm. month in Albany I mean did you get to enjoy it all? Just be around your guys from home and your family at all?
2: Yeah, I loved it. And uh I know I'm sure you saw it. I was I still even went to the games after I got drafted before I um, came down here for that like extra week, just because I even over that two and a half, three weeks I was playing with the Dutchman. I absolutely loved all the guys on the team and just wanted to be around them you know, before I left because um, I know some of them I may never see again. And some of them it's going to be a while till I see them. So, you know, just being around them and and talking to those guys was a lot of fun. And obviously being with my family was, was the most important thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I, obviously after you had that kind of grace period in Albany, where, you know, you kind of got to refresh, I guess, before you head down to Florida and you take the next step in, in your career, what has it been like to be a part of the Braves organization so far? Obviously, you know, we've heard that you grew up a Braves fan. So I'm sure that has been, you know, even more, you know, enjoyable for your experience to take the next step in your baseball career.
2: Yeah, it's it's honestly been awesome, and the people here and the organization has been great um, so far, and and providing us with, you know with whatever we may need. And um, I actually throw the Braves on every night, watch them because, like you said, I am a fan. So it's been good to watch them. But even just you know, I think it's every every kid's dream to not only get drafted but by your favorite team is is something that. A lot of people, you know, can't even imagine possible. And when I was given the opportunity, it was almost a no-brainer to have to come down here and, you know, take a shot and bet on myself.
1: Yeah, well, you just mentioned you, you know, even down there in Florida, you turn on the Braves games at night. Is, Is there any sort of a little bit of a different feeling where, you know, hey, maybe you're a kid growing up or even, you know, two months ago, you're back home watching the Braves just as a fan and now here you are, you know, you're wearing your Braves gear, you're down there in the Braves system, you know, you're a part of the organization. Is there any sort of piece of the puzzle that has maybe, you know, just added a little bit of maybe extra motivation or just some sort of different feeling when you watch those Braves games?
2: Yeah. And it's almost a sense of like, a realization of like, that could be me, you know, in a few years. Um, And obviously, like, you know, going into college, I didn't have like coming out of like going to a division three school, I didn't think much of that um, playing professional baseball. But as more attention was drawn to me um, from scouts, it it turned into like more of a real possibility. But thinking of myself being on this stage one day, like watching them, you know, it's a crazy thought, but it's a very real possibility. Um, So that's one thing. And even just like watching them to pick up different things. Um, on how big leaguers conduct themselves and whether that be behind the plate or at the plate, hitting. It's like different things and cues I'm trying to pick up on. And even a lot of our coaches have played in professional baseball and spent time, whether it be with the Braves or a different organization, and like just asking them, picking their brain and trying to like pick up on things that they learned through Pro ball that helped them or that didn't help them, you know, and, and did them a disservice. So it's like You just have, I I think I've done, you know, good enough, but probably need to do more of like using the resources and the tools around here, but definitely watching the games. It's, it's crazy that one day, you know, could be there.
0: Yeah. So I got a kind of a two-part question for you here. Obviously you're a Braves fan from upstate New York. So number one, how does that happen? uh, You got kind of got to walk me through that there. And then number two, have you been down to Atlanta? Have you been to the stadium down there or just been to the town at all?
2: So I'll answer, I'll like go reverse. I did, I was there in 2018, I want to say 2018 or 2017 when it was still SunTrust Park and not Truist. That's when I went and the area is gorgeous. And the, the stadium is, is one of a kind and I loved it, but no, yeah, it's um, I, I really don't know how, like I became a fan of them. Um, it just kind of popped up one day and, when I was a little bit younger and just been rooting for him ever since.
0: Okay. So when you, when you went down there and like you said, 2017 or 2018, whatever it was, you went to the stadium, do you kind of see yourself? Like I can see myself playing for this team, being in the big leagues playing for my favorite team one day, or is it kind of just did, did the whole process just kind of just come up on you out of nowhere?
2: That was when I was still in high school. I think I was going into my senior year. So honestly, I had seen it and like, you know, everybody cracks jokes like, oh, I'll be here one day. And that's kind of just how I was talking about it. And then, you know, four years later, it's like all this interest from professional teams. And now it's like a real possibility, which was like, that was one of those things that I always made jokes about with my brother. like when we, we went to, I think, one or two games and when we were there, I was like, oh, I'll be playing there someday. Just like, you know, joking around. And now it's like a, a real possibility.
1: Throwing it back to kind of your earlier days, how, how good of a ball player were you growing up and, you know, around this area? And what was your development like? I mean, were you always a guy that, you know, did both hit for power, hit for average? Were you, you know, more strictly a power hitter, more strictly a contact guy? What, what kind of ball player were you, you know, through your, you know, or adolescent and high school days?
2: Through high school, I would say probably more of an average guy. I didn't honestly have a ton of power. I When I was 12, I had quite a bit. You know, I did well there, but going up through, like, 13 and probably even up till, like, till I was 19, I really didn't have much power. Um, but then this year was kind of – these past two years, that COVID year um, and then this year, um, I, I felt a, a drastic spike in um, in my power. And I, I credit that a lot to – I believe everything happens for a reason. Um I'm a firm believer in that. And when I hurt my knee freshman year, I put on quite a bit of weight after my surgery and um, learning how to lift and, and eat were like the two biggest things for me. And I still think that's a, a big reason as to why I have the power I do.
0: So you think that knee surgery and, you know, everything that came with it the the nutrition and the lifting. So you, you, you think that knee surgery was kind of a blessing in disguise kind of worked out for you pretty well?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I still say the same thing about COVID because it, it really allowed me to just kind of put everything to the side and focus on what I need to focus on. It, it really like eliminated a lot of distractions. Um, but yeah, the knee injury still, I think, is the biggest thing.
0: Yeah. So next question I have for you here, obviously coming from CBA, no one really knows what school district you were from or what, you know, hometown or suburb you're, you're representing. Do you want to, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what suburb, what school district were you in? first off, and then what went into your decision to move over to CBA, whether it was athletics or academics?
2: I would have gone to Colony, um, and I'm actually closer to CBA. I live closer to CBA than I do Colony High School, which is funny, but um, I would say my brother went to CBA when he was a sophomore, and I'm two years younger than him, so kind of after he went, it was just, he loved it, um, his two years, and then I just kind of followed in his footsteps, and you know, I would do it 10 times over. Um, I would love to, and it was kind of like a mutual decision between my parents and I to go there. I didn't really have any pushback on it and I loved it. And I still have my best friends are from there. So.
1: Yeah. So speak, speak speak a little bit about your CBA days. Um, What was that like for you as a baseball player? You know, how many years of varsity did you play? I know you hit like over 600 your senior year of high school, uh, what was that, you know, you you spoke earlier a little bit about, you know, your average to power kind of differential, but what was that sort of success like and, you know, how did you put up such, you know, crazy number? Cause you know, it's pretty rare you'll find someone hitting over 600 at any level of baseball.
2: Um, That's a good question. I mean, I, it's kind of one of those things that I, I don't know. I didn't think much about, you know, while it was going and, you always have guys though in baseball, like some check their stats all the time. Some don't, I've always been one to, to keep an eye on it. And it just gives me cues as to where I'm at and kind of, I don't know, it's just something I've always done. So I did look at it, but you know, it, I just tried not to think um, much about it as that season was going. And that was kind of the biggest thing. It was just like a mental thing of like, don't think about it. Just, just play the way you have been and, and, let that take care of itself but I played two years of varsity with CBA and I moved up for the sectionals in my sophomore year um, where Ian Anderson actually threw against CBA in the sectional championship but um, yeah I mean I think CBA was a great experience I still uh, keep in touch with um, quite a few of the coaches that coached me there so yeah it was it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. So obviously, you know, you had some pretty good success at CBA, especially your two years of varsity. What was the interest level for like college wise for you coming out of high school? Obviously, you know, guy going a division three route, you know, was it, you know, maybe kind of on the you know lower end of things where maybe, you know, you weren't getting some of those higher you know level schools, maybe especially around here with like the UAlbany's and the Siennas. But, you know, what made you go to St. John Fisher as well? And, you know, how did you end up on that division three path?
2: So I really didn't have much um, interest out of high school. It was, honestly, it was three schools. It was St. John Fisher, Salve Regina, which is a D3 school in Newport, Rhode Island, and then St. Rose um, and all of it. But I wanted to get a little bit away from home. So, I mean, I just felt Fisher was the best fit um, all around. And I'm um, honestly, I can't thank the people out there enough uh, for what they did for me and, and my development and whatnot, but I actually did enter the portal and had the transfer portal this past year, um, before the, like leading up to the draft, um, just in case draft stuff didn't work out. I was going to probably transfer to, um, just kind of take a step up and maybe put myself even more on a radar, um, of some teams in terms of professional baseball, but yeah, I, I can't, can't thank them enough at Fisher.
1: Yeah. So Uh, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit what was your you know obviously you didn't spend a whole lot of time in that portal but what was your experience like in that portal you know was it kind of you know maybe just kind of crazy to see kind of these bigger schools now interested in you you know did you take any visits did you see any schools that were like wow this would be a really cool place to play baseball Mm -hmm. what was that whole experience like for you hearing from those schools
2: it was honestly insane it was um, I entered it and I was only in it for about two and a half weeks but I Um, I still tell people this day, it was a good experience in terms of learning how to like communicate with people that you don't know. Um, Because it's, it was like I was on the phone like seven times a day uh, with different coaches and whatnot and just talking through things. And um, I only took one visit. I went out to St. Mary's in Northern California, which is actually where I had committed and signed um, before the draft. So I was going to go out there Um, had the draft not worked out, but yeah, it was it was honestly pretty insane because it's the same thing. Like a lot of these big time Power Five schools that I never thought would be interested were contacting me and and looking for ways we could work around the academics just because a six semester transfer is pretty hard to do at a lot of schools.
0: Yeah. So you talk about getting in the portal and going from the division three level to the higher division one. You know, you were the division three player of the year. You your your average, your home run numbers, your RBI numbers, they were all you know, top of the, top of the leaderboard and D3 throughout the country. Now, what do you really just have to say to the people who, you know, they might put an asterisk next to those numbers they are going to say, you know, it is division three, just try to disqualify it. What do you say to those people who, you know, just to, you know, just to qualify those numbers. Cause they're legit numbers. You're playing, you're playing real good competition, at the division three level as well.
2: You know, I mean, people are always going to say things no matter what way you go. And obviously, like division one, division two are a step up from division three. But like the thing I always say, and, and people have always said in baseball is you, you can get drafted from anywhere. Um, and it just like shows you if you work hard enough, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Um, and there's a, I have a teammate now down here that I was saying, that's another division three guy. And it just proves that no matter where you are, if you do good enough, like people will find you and, and, Sometimes give you an opportunity, which, but to be honest with you, I I wouldn't say much to those people. I'm just going to kind of, I think now I've been given an opportunity here. I'm blessed to have an opportunity with the Braves and hopefully can make the most of it. Yeah. So you talk about how,
0: you know, if you are good enough, they'll come and find you now coming from St. John Fisher out in Rochester and, you know, finding the Braves or them finding you, I guess, how did that process really work? How did a team from down in Atlanta, Georgia, come all the way up to Rochester and find you at Fisher?
2: So I think it was kind of towards the end of the spring. There was a little sprinkle of interest in the fall um, going into this year, but then it was really the spring of 21 where, teams were allowed to, and it was kind of towards the end of the year where, like, scouts could actually come to the games and watch, and it was our conference semifinals and finals, and then the practices in that week that um, more of the scouts were coming, and, like, each team has a regional scout, so it was mainly the regional scouts or regional cross-checkers that were coming to just kind of watch me practice, play in the game, you know, whatever, and, you know, how I conducted myself on the field, whether I was you know, throwing equipment or just kind of taking things, which is that's one thing I do need to get better at. I've been better down here, but obviously I have to, but, you know, and that's another thing too. I I'm taking this question completely off the rails, but I just wanted to go for it it. about the, that's another thing coming from division three is like where I hit 500 with 20 home runs and it's down here. Like today I went one for four, but it's taking the positives. Like first at bat, I had seven pitches. The other, Two at-bats were barreled and then I had a hit, but it's, it's learning that like not every game you're going to go three for four or two for four or four for four for for that matter. Like there's going to, in pro ball, obviously, you know, nobody hits 500. So you have to like, it's that mental thing of understanding you're going to hit 250, you're going to hit 280. So.
1: Yeah. So what, what has that mental adjustment been like for you? Do you, you know, Have you find that a little bit easier or is that something you may have struggled with a little bit, maybe earlier, maybe not so much now, what's that, you know, processing been like for you, you know, having to adjust your, your statistics over the last few months.
2: It's been a little bit of an adjustment, but I think playing with the Dutchman helped in that sense where it helped me come back down. And it's like allowing me to take a step back and be like, understand, like, you're playing higher level competition and especially here and just understanding that you're not gonna hit, you know, as well as maybe you did in division three. And now that and and I the thing that also helps me as well is like, you know, and we've me and a couple of the other draft guys have been saying this too. It's like everybody's here for a reason, right? So it's not like you're gonna get cut because of one O for four game or two O for four games. So I, it is an adjustment, absolutely, mentally, but I think it's, it's been a bit easier than I thought it would have been.
1: Gotcha. So what was, speaking kind of mentally, um, you know, you've kind of had a few mental challenges and physical challenges throughout your baseball career. You know, you, you come into your, your college career, your first game, you hit your first collegiate home run against Johns Hopkins, who is nationally ranked. And then you have two games, you know, in that season and then you have an injury. So what was that adjustment like for you mentally? What was that process like Um, and how did you kind of overcome or at least, you know, try to deal with that season ending or season defining injury at least?
2: It was heartbreaking, um, especially in the sense that I had a I was pretty close with quite a few of the seniors on that team that wouldn't be coming back and it really just kind of i almost didn't feel like a part of the team i couldn't travel with them um at all and, and it was just like rehabbing and surgery all year so that was tough but i mean it was one of those things where i had to kind of just understand it's the it's the hand that i was dealt and you just need to take that, that next step forward and not dwell too much on the past you know learn from what happened but don't dwell on it
0: yeah you talk about just you know taking the hit and moving forward now you're you're sophomore you take a uh, your knee injury, freshman year, and then sophomore season, the, um, the, uh, the COVID year, then just jumping right into that junior season. How were you able to adjust so well after two, you know, you played nine games combined in two seasons. How'd you adjust so well and then just put up country leading numbers?
2: We played that summer, um, quite a bit. We played, I think six games a week, um, that COVID summer we were cleared to play which was nice. So I still did get some live in game at bats. Um, And then I think it was just like good preparation um, in the fall and into the winter, that early winter, when we do a lot of live babies in the cages and our pitchers are a lot better than kind of the pitchers we were seeing throughout the year. So I think that was a a big help. And, you know, I, I don't know, I just felt uh, very comfortable at the plate all year. And, and it just kind of, I got into a rhythm and, and just, it, it snowballed. It just continued.
0: Yeah. Now, did you do anything particular? I mean, obviously you did have the quarantine period between your, your, your shortened sophomore season and your amazing junior season. Did you, did you do anything particularly in the quarantine period or just, I mean, any time in, in the, the long layoff to really keep the positive mindset and go off junior year?
2: Yeah, it was just like me and um, two uh, CBA grads that are still like my best friends to this day. We will go outside every day and throw and hit. And maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but, you know, we just kind of we were staying in our houses and we figured, you know, what the hell. And we just went out there and kind of did our thing. And um, I still think that was a huge help. It was almost in a sense like to pass time like that we were doing it. But at the same time, I think there was a lot of growth from it um, for all three of us.
1: How did that elevate you coming into this season? Um, You know, obviously, I feel like you've been a pretty confident player in your abilities over the first two seasons of when you had in college. But, you know, what did that COVID period provide for you in terms of, you know, expectations for yourself as well as belief that, you know, hey, you could come into a season and do some pretty good damage in that that St. John Fisher lineup?
2: I think it was part of it too was it was like my first official full season and it was like trying to prove people wrong and and honestly it almost was a sense of like I almost was just playing not for fun but you know obviously everybody plays this game to have fun but when we kind of had that season stripped from us it was like playing and, and being grateful for the game of baseball and drawing one another like all of our teammates together because you never know how fast this season and like this game can be ripped right from you. So I think that was a big thing. And, and especially it being my first year, like official season to kind of put myself on the map and, and, you know, show people what I can do.
0: Yeah. You know, obviously in baseball guys go on, you know, three game long streaks or week long streaks or whatever it is that they have decent numbers over five, seven, nine days, whatever it is. You know, you've been raking pretty much since March or April. You're you're going on, you know, you went through last school ball season, then this summer with the Dutchman and now going into the Florida league. Just talk about what it's like. I mean, you've been seeing the ball pretty well at the plate, I'm assuming. Just talk about how how big the ball really looks. You've kind of just been seeing beach balls up there and just carrying the confidence into whoever's throwing against you. You know, you've you've been dominating so many guys for so many long for so long, it doesn't really matter who's on the mound in front of you.
2: I appreciate you saying that first of all, but um, too, I, I think it's just a sense of, you know, having confidence in your abilities. Don't, you know, not being arrogant, but understanding like, you know, whether you play division one or division three, it's like you, you play college baseball for a reason, you know, and it's the same thing here. It's like, those pitchers are obviously here for a reason, but so am I. And like today we had a guy, you know, that was touching 101 um, in the game and, like that's a thing that can sometimes be a mental barrier where like guys can count themselves out right in the beginning of that bat. But it's like, you know, it's having a good approach is kind of everything in the box and it's not always about what that pitcher has. It's kind of understanding your abilities and what your strengths are, you know, pick your strengths over knocking down their weaknesses.
1: Have you ever seen 101 before? I mean, what is that like? Try to take us through that. I mean, no, I can't the, even come the, close to imagining, but
2: yeah, the hardest I saw was 99, and that was this summer. Um, there was a kid on Amsterdam I was throwing that, but it was uh, it was a 3 0 pitch, so it was but it was like a 101 cutter on the black, which was I mean, it's it's very hard, but you know, there's a lot of guys I was, shouldn't, excuse me, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's you know more guys than you would think that are down here that are throwing ninety to hundred, and you know it's it's almost like commonplace now for guys to be throwing ninety five to ninety seven. But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a for real, uh a real experience. You know, like really understanding how hard that actually is.
0: Yeah, this uh, this may be kind of a dumb question here, but you know, like you said, you're seeing so many guys throwing so hard but you know, you've been hitting so well for so long. Do you think you're ever going to slow down or do you think you're kind of going to keep leveling up to the, to the pitchers you're seeing, or what are you expecting from yourself and, you know, the near future, the far future, whatever it may be, you've just been hitting so well for so long. It's clearly not really a fluke that's going on.
2: I would like to say no, um, but obviously everybody, you know, every hitter has their, uh, their struggles. So I would have to imagine it is going to come, but you know, I hope not um, in this last month of the season that we have down here. Hopefully I can keep it up and and into spring training, you know, um, next February.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've kind of been following your season at Fisher. And then obviously we were, uh, I I watched you play in person the summer for the Dutchman. I'm pretty sure your biggest cold spell that I saw was, I think you went from about 390 down to about 365 in in the (laughs) the summer, which was still just unbelievable. And I know even, um, I think you were one of the team leaders in home runs with the Dutch when you were there for about two weeks. So, I mean, just, just speak about, you know, the the numbers you've been putting up and even when you're going, or I mean, I guess I could say when you go through a dry spell, not really when you do go or, but whenever it happens, just what's the, uh, what's the mentality going to be just because your numbers have been so lofty and so high for so long, if, if, or when it does happen, when it comes back down, how do you, uh, how do you kind of just persevere and keep the confidence through it?
2: I think it's going to be looking at film, um, you know, you film all the games from all the angles here. So, and just kind of breaking down what, you know, pitches I'm seeing and what I was seeing when I you know, comparing when I was doing well to, you know, when I'm struggling. And I think, you know, that it's common for people like when they struggle at the plate to just try and change everything. But it's like, you got to, it, my, like the saying I love is like, stick to what got you there. You know, like what what was it that made you successful? You know, keep doing that because that's what you know got you to the point you're at.
1: Yeah. So speaking about how, getting to where you, where you are, um, what was your approach coming into this this Dutchman season? Um, you know, were you trying to stay on that kind of level plane, or were you trying to? You know, was there anything that you were trying to? You know do this summer that, you know, was going to elevate your game or were you just kind of trying to come into, you know, maintain, what was your mindset, you know, for this summer in Albany?
2: Um, honestly, I didn't have any real, like no real stress. It was, it was more of like, you know, playing to have fun. And there was even, you know, I talked to my parents and a couple other former coaches of mine that, you know, provide good advice. And there was even like, we were talking about like, should I even play this summer? because of the season I had and then if I go here and struggle then it could hurt me in the recruiting process or in the draft process so you know we uh, I ended up going through with it I was like I'm going to play to have fun I knew a bunch of the guys on the team you know that are from the area and met even more great guys um, from schools all over the country so it was honestly just like having having some fun um, being around those guys and it ended up doing pretty well and you know still in touch with pretty much the whole team
0: yeah so you go from you know last semester at fisher you know living out there by yourself on a college campus with you know you're with your baseball teammates but you know you're talking to or you're talking with probably scouts i'm assuming and then you, you now you're in uh florida with the braves and you know you've had a couple weeks at home just talk about I mean, I can't imagine how nice it must have been. You probably, did you get to just go live at home, just be with your parents and just hang out with your friends? Like, how was that downtime for you in Albany?
2: It was awesome. I mean, a couple of my friends are actually playing down here in a league and now they're home, so we kind of traded places. But um, it was a lot of fun to be around my my family, um, even if it was just for that short period of time. But, you know, it was really nice to see them and I was with them. Um, when My name was called in the draft, which was um, still a surreal experience. Um you know, just to, um, you know, make my parents proud. That's um, all, you know, kids want to do. And um, to see the smiles on their faces. And my mom was crying too, which, um, you know, made me a little emotional. But it, it was just, like, really nice to be around them and have, you know, the people who supported me through everything. Um, and my brother as well, home with me um, to see that and experience that with me.
0: Yeah, so kind of walk me through that that draft day situation. We'll we'll, we'll get into the draft section of the uh, of the Adam Zabrowski story here now, but just kind of walk me through that day where you know were you just following along on the draft tracker? Did you get a call? And I mean, where were you and who were you, who were you surrounded by?
2: Um, so I was. My uh, my dad had taken a half day from work. My mom was she had taken the whole day off. My brother um, had the off. He had an off day from work, so we were all home. Um, Just kind of watching the draft tracker and through from 11 to 20, those rounds, the picks just fly. So they don't really do much. They announce them, but they don't do any, they don't break it down at all. And I was just in constant contact with the scout um, that was on me from the Braves. And we were just texting back and forth. And there was talks maybe he was pushing for like the ninth or 10th round the day before didn't end up working out. Um, But then the next day he was like, you know, we'll try and get you. And when the 13th round started, he said, I'm going to really make a push here, see if we can get you. And I saw my name pop up and, and it was just like, I still, I like it. It I blacked out, you know, I don't even know. I didn't even know what was going through my head. It, it was still surreal.
0: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the draft tracker now. Were you, were you at all concerned about, I mean, I, I, I was tracking those picks as well, looking out for you and some other former Dutchman. Um, were you worried at all about missing your name somewhere? I mean, if you're refreshing those tweets with how fast those things go, were you worried that like, you might have gotten drafted and you might have just completely missed it?
2: I wasn't just because um, really around the draft, I was only kind of looking for the Braves, really. They were like the one team that was really um, zoned in here, like around the draft. So that was like the one – team that I was locked in on so I actually had it on mlb.com I had that draft tracker so it goes like list by list and you can see the previous picks but yeah my dad actually got it like five seconds before I even saw it on my phone so he was congratulating me and then I saw it pop up and it was like a pretty it was a it was a unforgettable uh, moment
0: you kind of got beat to the scoop that you got drafted there huh
2: (laughs) yeah yeah I know and then um scout who called five minutes after, but yeah, my dad told me first.
0: Yeah. So knowing that you, you were in touch with the Braves, um, was there really anyone? I mean, I'm I'm assuming you were you kind of kept somewhat of an, of an eye on the draft, whether it be the earlier rounds looking out for yourself or even just watching at home. Was there anyone the Braves selected that you their uh, their name might have caught your eye for one reason or another?
2: Um the one was um Cal Connolly. And that was just because we had actually, when I played for the South Troy Dodgers, we had played him in the Midland Redskins in 2018, I want to say the summer of 2018. And then we went to New Mexico and they were there as well. So he was just the one that kind of rung a bell, but I mean, really I didn't recognize any of the other names um, until I got here and met everybody
1: yeah, so you said you you your name pops up on the draft tracker. You're obviously well aware you're drafted, and then you have that phone call five minutes after with your brave scout. Take us through that that phone call and what that was like for you. I mean, what was what were the emotions from you, from the scout, from your family? I mean, I'm sure everyone must it must have just been like almost mass hysteria in a
2: sense. Yeah, he was just like, you know, congratulating me and um, I'm becoming a brave and you know, he was just kind of talking further details of like how front office people would call and kind of get things situated on when to come down. But, you know, he was like, just enjoy this moment with your family. And he said, obviously player development asks that you stop playing any games that you would play in your league. And yeah, he kind of just, it was a very short call, but it was just kind of him congratulating and saying what the next steps would be and, you know, to enjoy it with the family.
1: Yeah. So, so take us through those next steps. What was that like? In the coming days, how much were you know you in contact with them? You know, did you you know get down there right away and sign? And you know, you're on your way. You know, what was that that kind of downtime in a sense, or that you know grace period between the draft and then, hey, I'm going to Florida. You know, time to start the next steps.
2: I think so. The dra- I think I got drafted on a Tuesday. Yep. Yeah, it was on Tuesday. Signed that Sunday night, I believe. And then I was down here on Wednesday. So kind of all within a week, um, it, it panned out. And, um, you know, I was on the phone a bunch with different people from the front office and um, people working down here with all the physicals and different stuff that, that we needed to have figured out um, when we come down here.
0: Yeah, you don't need to get into the uh, the financials of it whatsoever, but just talk about, was there any first... Uh, you know, now you're uh, you're on pro ball contract, pro ball money. Do you get make any kind of first purchase or first investment? Have you done anything uh, with that first contract at all?
2: I have not yet. I actually just got. So they break up the signing bonus. I got a good chunk this year, and then I get a little bit the rest of it next year and the year after. So obviously, after taxes and stuff, you you don't take home as much as you would like. But I haven't made any big purchases. I think the first thing's going to be student loans, pay those off. And then invest, probably most of it. And then I'm gonna do uh, get something nice for each one of my family members: my mom, my dad, and my brother.
0: That's kind of funny that you mentioned the the student loans. That's part of the the D three athlete. You're not on the scholarship money. You still got to pay uh, those off. Fisher's gonna yeah. be on you.
2: Well, I gotta I gotta pay them off too before they um, accrue some interest. So
0: right, yeah, you gotta you got your eyes set on a few things, but I mean, really, I mean, yeah. just talk about. I mean, I'm guessing that that just kind of went to your bank account. The, the first mm-hmm. chunk of money, how, I mean, did you just stay up until like, did you know the payment was coming through? Did you just refresh the app and you just, I just, it got, just, shoot paid, up?
2: I just got it actually Friday. Um, so that was like the, it's supposed you get it like within 30 days that first chunk. So they did that and then paid for three weeks um, of being down here, which, We don't really make that much money down here, but the good part about being down here versus an affiliate, and I know it's a little bit off topic, but like, I don't pay for any of this housing. I don't pay for any food unless I go, you know, elsewhere, but like, you don't pay for food here. Like there's no expenses. So, you know, that's one plus.
0: How has that been? I mean, I'm guessing you had some kind of expenses at Fisher. You go from I mean, I I don't really want to assume, but you go from probably in a broke college kid or I mean, broken comparison to whatever your pro ball contract up, you go from that to now no bills. You're kind of, they, they pay for everything there. Just talk about, you know, kind of that adjustment.
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been really nice. Um, At school, I had a house off campus. So you're paying rent and obviously, you know, like you're buying groceries, you're paying for meals, paying for gas, like. You know all, all sorts of bills, and now it's come down here and you don't have to worry about any of that. Um, it's really just like play baseball. And I know, too, when you go up to the affiliates, at least with the Braves, you do have to pay for your own housing. After, like, your first five days, they put you in a hotel. And then you got to pay for housing and stuff and uh, find a way to the field and whatnot. But I know there's teams like the Astros out there, and I know some people may not like them. Um, but They, I think, like pay for all of their players' housings at like any affiliate. And I think things like that may come in the next uh, collective bargaining agreement, which I think is December 1st. This one is up Um, because there's a lot of minor leaguers coming out about, you know, the poor living conditions that have been going on in the minor leagues just because the, the pay, even with an increase, it's still very, very, very low.
1: So take us, let's, let's take us a little bit inside the facility now. So you're living on, you know, the complex, you know, you have your own dorm, I assume or you're living by yourself or you're rooming with anyone. Um, but you know, take us kind of inside that and like, you know, what's that like for you to be, you know, kind of living in baseball heaven in a sense. And like, Mm -hmm. you you have your own room, you know, you said the cafeteria is right downstairs, the fields, you know, 20 steps away. Like what's that like for you and what's it like to be, you know, living there? and doing this as, you know, your, your job.
2: It's awesome. And it's still funny when you say that, like I, you say it's my job, but it like still hasn't really set in just because it's like, it's a kid's game. It's like everybody, you know, we start this when we're, I mean, some guys obviously later, some guys earlier, but I started playing when I was probably six years old, seven years old. And it's like, you know, it's still just the same game, but now you make money doing it. And it's like a dorm setup. Um, My first roommate, he got sent up to Augusta. He was from Illinois. So he got sent up there and then I had another roommate and he just left today. Um, So both of them are up in Augusta with the low A team now. And so I don't have a roommate right now, but maybe I'll be getting one soon, but hopefully not. I mean, the room is, is nice. If you guys want to see it, I'll show you at the end, but yeah, it's, it's been nice. And like with everything so close and, there's resources all around. Like you have, there's multiple strength coaches, multiple trainers. Uh, there's a dietitian. So you have like a lot of resources right here that that'll help you at, at any given second.
0: That's actually kind of funny how, you know, you go from dorm life your first couple of years at Fisher to living in a house and now you're back in a dorm, but I'm guessing yeah. it's, it's kind of like, maybe like you're at like a sleep away baseball camp kind of thing down there. Uh, but, um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. You answered a, a couple of questions ago about, you know, how you were in a house at Fisher and, you know, you got to pay your own rent and groceries and everything that kind of put a light bulb in my brain. Were you kind of noticed around town at all? I mean, you're a bigger guy. And I mean, I know you were tearing up the just with, with your numbers. And I mean, obviously at a, for, for the D3 baseball fans in the country, everyone knows who you are. I don't know how big of a name you were in St. John Fisher, but were you going out and getting recognized around Rochester?
2: Um, I mean, I would say not as much around the city, but you know, I got school, um, I knew it, but it is a smaller school. So, pe- you know, word gets around quick. And um, I was friends with a lot of people at, at Fisher. So uh, most of the people I knew, it, but they had just reached out and congratulated me and stuff. But, you know, not, maybe not as much as you would think um, around the town. But, yeah, I honestly, not really.
0: So I guess that, that may, be, uh, may be better because, you know, you get to lay low yeah. a little bit. You think not are really the celebrity treatment, which may not be such a bad thing. But um, next no, question. Just I guy. yeah. N- next question I got for you here. Um, you know, you you, ca- you just mentioned that um, you know, so many people reached out to congratulate you. How m- just talk about you know the, just the the modern day we're kind of living in with you know how many people can just how easy it is for them to reach out, shoot you a text, shoot you a call, whatever. How crazy was that on your phone once you got drafted? Just did you get an influx of text messages? Did you get like thousands of unread messages? What was that like?
2: It was, it was pretty, uh, unbelievable. I had people calling all over the place and it got to the point where, um, it was actually the day we were supposed to, I think we were going down to Saugerties for a game and I had, uh, Jack Mahoney and Connor O'Neill. They were coming over to my house. They were going to park there and I was going to drive us down. Um, but after I got drafted, Jack said he would drive. So I just kind of sat in his car on the way down and I was you know, spending like the entire drive just texting people back, trying to get back to people. But it took me like two or three days to end up getting back to Jeez. people, and I had to apologize to some people for being so behind. But it was just like too stressful. It was on, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, messages. It was kind of everything. It was it was going pretty crazy. But I appreciated everybody and and all the support um, and congratulations I did get.
1: Was there anyone in particular that? sticks out to you that you know reached out to you in one way or another after the draft
2: hmm. not not really um i was on a different show and and i uh, you guys know probably roger wyland he was asking if uh ian anderson had reached out and um i was saying he hadn't but actually the equipment manager here is like very friendly with all the professional guys and he said he'll introduce me in spring training so that would be pretty cool but no, I mean, I think, you know, my biggest supporters my mom, my dad, my brother. Those are the three that I just um, can't thank enough. And, you know, when they congratulated me and told me how proud they were, um, that really meant a lot to me and kind of makes it all worth it. You know, everybody thinks, like, all the money and, and everything else like that. But, you know, making your family proud is, is I think, um, it's, it's priceless.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I no disrespect to your family, but about you know, Ian Anderson, you know, mm-hmm. have you had any thoughts of, you know, even before you were drafted, about hey, you know, what would it be like to have that combination of you catching Ian Anderson, like the 518 combination? Or, you know, is there anyone that you've thought of before or after the draft where it'd be like, wow, it'd be really cool to share a dugout with this guy or catch this guy or work out with this person, whoever it may be?
2: Yeah, I um being a Braves fan, I think one guy would be cool to just be around um, would be Freddie Freeman. But like, I, lo- I, I like him. I like Dansby Swanson. I kind of like the whole, that whole team. I like Acuna a lot, Albies. Like I think they they would be like really cool just to even sit in a dugout one game and not say anything, just listen to them. And and kind of the way they think, think through things. And um, being a catcher, I think my number one would be Buster Posey. Uh, I've always loved the way he played and, And I think like picking at his brain a little bit, would be nice, but I've never really thought about, you know, catching Ian Anderson, but I think that would be, you know, pretty cool. And, and, uh, pretty awesome experience to kind of put the capital region even more on the map than it already is like him and Kevin Herter have done, um, both in Atlanta.
0: Yeah. I think if, um, if, if there comes a day on the, uh, on the brave starting lineup where it says Zabrowski catcher and Anderson pitcher, the, uh, every single news media outlet in, in the capital region might explode. But um, ne- next question I got for you here. So obviously just uh, just coming from New York, um, you know, so many people say we're kind of at a disadvantage up here. You, you want you want guys who come from warmer states play year round, whether it be California, Florida, Texas, whatever it is, um, I, I've personally heard a, a, a separate debate that they want hitters who play year-round and pitchers who who come from colder states because they're not throwing year-round. But just talk about, I mean, coming from a colder state and, you know, the Northeast part of the country may not be as recruited or as looked at as a, as a baseball hotbed, just putting on for both the Capital Region and uh, and all of the Northeast.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you, the thing I've always said is, you know, not everybody – can live down South or in Texas or in California. So, you know, people do have to come from the colder States, but um, you can find talent from anywhere. Um, and and I think, you know, we have a lot of colder weather guys here on this team. Um, but, you know, you do have a lot from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela too. So it's, you have an even mix of both, but yeah, I have heard that, that same saying um, that you just said, you know, less mileage on the arm for, pitchers and more live pitching for uh the guys from the south but you know i, I think like being down here it definitely took a little bit to adjust to this heat it is a different type of hot um than we have in new york but it's been nice you know getting know, getting to know a lot of players from different cultures and stuff
0: you said it's it's a different kind of heat down there what's the <laughs> what's the date what's the kind of daily weather report looking like down there what do you what are you battling it- now in uh, middle august
2: It really depends. I mean, we play all pretty much all of our games except for Fridays. Um, We play at 10 and noon. So it's, you know, you're pretty much playing at the hottest part of the day. And a lot of times it'll rain. Sometimes it'll rain like 1 o'clock, but sometimes it'll rain in the morning. And if it rains in the morning, the sun comes out pretty much every day anyways. But if it comes out kind of after it rains, you, you get like a very thick heat. It's like very, very humid. Um, and it, a lot of times it'll feel like it's one hundred five, one hundred six. but you know, days that it rains later and we play earlier, like before the rain, those days are nice. Cause usually you get a little breeze and sometimes some cloud cover.
0: Yeah. Now I kind of want to backtrack a little bit here. I know we mentioned, uh, we've mentioned Ian Anderson and, you know, obviously anytime you see a, a capital region guy, suburban council product drafted to Atlanta, it's kind of, you know, you're kind of going to go hand in hand with that, but, um, so you mentioned that, um, th- that you played against him in the suburban council tournament a couple of years ago, correct?
2: I didn't play. I was just kind of, you know, they'd kind of do like a thing where they move up some sophomores, um, to varsity for sectionals. And I was just, it happened to be in the dugout.
0: So do you think, so you think he wouldn't remember you? I was going to say, do, do you think if, I mean, are, are you telling anyone in, in you know, th- that around you at the, uh, in the Atlanta Braves site down there, are you telling anyone, you know, like that guy on the TV there, like I played against him in high school. Does anyone kind of know you guys are from the same area at all? And
2: yeah. Most, most of the guys around here do. And that's why that equipment guy even mentioned that. Cause I told him we're from um, the same area, you know, like 15, 20 minutes away. So um, yeah. So I've been telling people, but I don't know how great of contact they have with him. I know he's in Gwinnett right now um, rehabbing a little bit, but we have a couple big leaguers down here. Um, we just have Oscar, you know, uh, um, and he's up in triple A now too doing rehab. So, but that's the cool part about being down here. I think too, is you get a lot of those guys that are like, there's quite a few double A guys here, a couple of triple A guys. And one of the double A guys is actually thrown Thursday. So you get a lot of times guys like that, that are really about to make that push into the big leagues. And, they just they're down here, you know, rehabbing.
1: Do you do you try to spend? You try to like attach yourself to the hip to them a little bit more, just to trying to pick their brain or trying to figure out like what they're doing, how they got to where they are, or anything like that.
2: I would like to, but when Oscar, you know, was still down here, um, we were still doing like our draft mini camp stuff, so we were kind of aside. <clears throat> um, but when they throw their bullpens, they throw them to our team like our catchers and stuff and um sadly I couldn't catch uh Oscar and Noah but um you know they kind of almost they do talk to you but you know you know I don't think you're really supposed to go out of your way it's just kind of you know commonplace like you don't go out of your way to just kind of like almost you know seek them out
1: yeah absolutely so what uh, uh a little bit more kind of you know in reality a little bit what's what's it been like kind of day-to-day for you guys you know obviously you kind of speak on how you try to have you know games more towards 10 a.m or noon <laughs> and it's in that kind of area you know do you guys have workouts in the morning what's it you know really like to kind of you know go through the process you know take us really into you know the day-to-day
2: yeah so tomorrow we play at noon against the Orioles so um my group, so there's two different lifting groups and we lift twice a week. So I'll lift tomorrow, 7.15, we'll go in and then we'll usually lift for about an hour and a half, hour-ish. So like 8 30 probably will be done. And then the practice stuff before a game, will start at nine, we'll have a team meeting at nine, start at 9.05 and we just kind of, every day it's different, but we'll, have that meeting for five minutes, we'll stretch for 10 minutes, throw for 10 minutes. And then it's usually like individual defensive work or we'll do like an infield outfield and get right into BP. Um, But it's kind of like a, just like a practice. And then you relax for a little bit, go grab a bite to eat. And then it's, it's game time. But yeah, the, the, uh, I've been doing a little bit extra stuff um, on the running side of things, just to kind of increase my speed, but, yeah, it's typically, like, like tomorrow, obviously, it would be 7.15, but then Wednesday, you know, is a camp day, so it's just a practice, like, no game, and we'll just start at um, probably 9.05, 9.30-ish, and get the practice started, and just kind of practice for probably two and a half, three hours, and that's it for the day. Like, the first two weeks we were up here, first week and a half-ish, it was, like, for our mini-camp, it was just our draft class. We would practice for an hour and a half, nine to 10 30 and the day's over and not a lot of people had cars. So it's like, you're kind of just sitting here with nothing to do.
1: So what, so obviously, you know, that kind of brings, you know, what, what you're going through right now, but what do you see as, or what do you know as kind of your next steps? And uh, you know, do you plan on being in Florida for the rest of the season? Or are you hoping to maybe get called up to Augusta or, you know, what's kind of, you know, what are you looking forward to, you know, in, in the next you know month and a half or so, or, you know, start of 2022?
2: With there being like only about 30 games left, I would imagine uh, I'll probably be here kind of the rest of the year. Obviously, I would love to, you know, go up there and get my feet wet at like the and kind of get on that schedule um, before next year. But, you know, I I just really like my big thing this year was getting to play games, getting my feet wet in professional baseball and kind of understanding different things like the unspoken rules um, in different parts of the game.
1: Gotcha. So I got, I got a question for you here, Adam. You were born September 28th, 2000. I was born September 28th, 1999. So I'm a year behind you. So what do I have to do to get to where you are now and make up a year?
2: <laughs> Tough question to answer. Um, I don't know. You know, you're talking baseball wise?
1: Yeah. What? Give me some tips. What do I got to do? I, I was not a great baseball player growing up, so I need a
0: little help here. A lot of ground so. to make up.
2: Yeah, I've seen both of, of, of you play. You.
0: I've seen both of you play. There's a lot of ground to make up. I'll say that.
2: <laughs> Not a very supportive brother, huh? <laughs> uh, I would say. Uh, I mean, catching's helped me a lot in terms of understand, and and I still think so. Like even hitting wise, like understanding sequencing and vice versa, like calling a game because we obviously call all of our games here. Um, like I think about like what would I think of as a hitter, and kind of play off of that. But yeah, catchings kind of been the biggest thing for me
1: yeah so I want to touch on that a lot of people you know you've kind of gotten a lot of recognition because you hit 500 you hit 20 home runs 70 RBIs but you're a sneaky really sneaky good defensive catcher do you how much pride do you take in that part of your game as well and you know what's that you know how do you see yourself defensively
2: Mm -hmm. I take more pride in my defense and I actually um, especially my receiving more than anything. I think the order I put it is like receiving blocking uh, then throwing because like ideally um, typically, excuse me, wrong word. Um, Typically you're going to catch 200 plus pitches a game around there, maybe, you know, give or take 50 pitches, but um, so how you present those pitches to the umpire and, you know, even your relationship with the umpire is a big thing. So um communication skills are actually bigger than and more important than people think for a catcher but yeah i pride myself more on my defense than i do even my offense because i personally believe like your offense isn't going to be there every game but you know if you give max effort on defense i think you can contribute to the team more than you think absolutely
0: yeah adam i remember when we talked doing the uh, the dutchman introduction interviews i remember one of the things you said that stuck out to me when we talked a little bit about defense And you said how, you know, you're not afraid to have a pitcher shake you off and you want them to be confident in what they're throwing. Just Mm -hmm. talk about how much that's helped you now down in Atlanta with uh, our down in Florida, I should say with new teammates and, you know, how much, how much easier that makes it to work with pitchers and how, how much more they take a liking to you.
2: Yeah. It's, it's good in the sense too that I start to understand like the way they like to go about throwing in different counts and like what's their out pitch and stuff. And, Um, I think, too, like the big thing with that is like a pitcher needs to have conviction in what they're throwing. You know, you don't want them to just throw the pitch just because it's called. And I think that's a problem a lot of times when coaches call games is that the pitcher thinks they have to throw that pitch just because the coach called it. Whereas like you would much rather a pitcher throw a different pitch with conviction than the pitch that they didn't really even want to throw just because you put it down.
0: Yeah, so the uh, one of the final questions we got for you here, Um, this is a Capital Region Sports Podcast, so we're gonna ask this to. uh, I'm assuming most of our guests. Um, What's uh, a what's a couple of your favorite places in Albany? Whether it's you know athletically, casually, uh, a landmark, and restaurant, whatever it is, just you know when you think about home and your favorite places, what's uh, what's a few of them that come to mind?
2: Um, I would say. You could, you Living could really, sunrise.
0: you could really put some people on some great places right now. So be cautious with your answer. Yeah. You could, I got
2: to My number one ice cream place, hands down. It's not even a debate is scoops. It's on. Yes. Uh,
0: I was just there earlier.
1: That is my spot. That
2: one, the one with the cows, right? Yep. Yeah. Love that one. That's, that's it hands down. It's not even a debate. Restaurants. This one's kind of like not a – we don't go very often, but 677 Prime, you know, when I'm home. I actually went there right before I left, just kind of like a celebratory thing with my family. And then training, um, the place I always use for two, three, the past – probably more than that, probably four years um, was South Troy Premier down in uh, Albany. So those are kind of my three different – my three number ones in different areas, but my favorite place is definitely scoops for sure.
1: Love it. Great, great answer. I'm, I'm content with that. Yeah. So uh, to wrap up our interview, Adam, we were going to touch on a segment that we we're going to call up to the minute. So we want to know what you're up to right now, especially like in your downtime, you know, shows you might be watching music or podcasts you might be listening to, you know, how are you spending your downtime away from the ball field?
2: I just got finished. just got done watching season two of uh, Outer Banks. Okay. Um, what did you think of that? What did you think yeah, of that? Yeah,
1: with your review. No, no spoilers, though. No spoilers. Loved
2: it. The, uh, the ending makes season three pretty intriguing. Okay. But the show I'm really waiting for, season three, is Jack Ryan. I love that series. Um, me and one of my roommates uh, from school, we absolutely love it. So we're waiting for that to come out. But, yeah, I just finished that. Uh, watching a lot of baseball. And then I've been going up to Siesta Key and like Sarasota area um, the last couple of days, you know, kind of when we have downtime, a teammate um, of mine from San Diego. He's got his car down here. Um, so we've been going up there, whether it's going out to dinner or going to the mall or just even going to walk around. It's good for like downtime because it's about a half hour away. So it's, it's a nice vibe there.
0: You mentioned um, what's the show? John Ryan, you said? Jack, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. That's uh, that's with John Krasinski in it, right? Yeah, I've yeah. I, I've heard about it. I think you may have just sold me on on watching it. I might have to catch you, you on that. To. Okay, I th- I think I think once yeah. we're done with this, where do you uh, where do you stream that at? You gotta you put me on it here.
2: Uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Okay. Prime, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. I might have to check that out. You got any uh, any specific songs? Any artists? Whether it be recently or or all time? Who are you? Uh, who's in the headphones?
2: Um, I'm big. <laughs> I, I kind of like all music. Um, but I would say lately I've been on my uh, my country kind of swing. The summer, um, summer baby. Yeah, always, always. You can never go wrong with country, in my opinion. But I like Mitchell Tenpenny a lot. Yeah.
0: What's like a song or two? I've not never even heard that name. Real? You've never heard Mitchell Tenpenny? No. Give me give me a song. Give me a song or two. Give me a little sample.
1: Let me let me hop in my Spotify real quick.
0: Either throw, throw it on. Adam, you got anything? Either yeah. either a name of a song, or if you can't think of the name, feel free to sing it.
2: Oh, there's there's multiple. It's Truth About You or Truth About Us, something like that. Truth about you. Truth about you. Drunk Me. You know,
1: you know, drunk me. drunk I mean, me. This might be a copyright, issue, yeah.
2: but
0: This is really this is really good radio right here, boys. This yes. is uh, this is a great first interview. We're going off the rails a little bit here at the end, but there's nothing wrong with that.
2: <laughs> we'll get to it
0: he's, later.
2: He's really good. I might actually be going to his concert, but I like him. Yeah. I mean, I'm big on country. I've always liked Blake Shelton, um, Cole Wetzel. So, you know, I kind of, I, I, bounce around a lot, but.
0: You know, Adam, I need to ask you this question now. If, if you're a big country music fan, I'm, um, so I go to school out at SUNY Oswego. There is mm-hmm. Syracuse is about 30, 45 minutes from us. There is the first week of October. I think it's in an eight or nine day stretch. There's, um, Zach Brown band, Florida, Georgia line, and Chris Stapleton are all playing this one theater. I, I want to go to one or two. I want to go to two of them. I don't want to go to all three. Who am I leaving out? If you got to go, uh, start bench cut. Who are we going between those three?
2: <laughs> who is it? Zach Brown, Luke Bryan, and,
0: uh, Zach Brown, Florida, Georgia line oh, and Florida Chris, Brown. and Chris Stapleton.
2: Oh, you, you got to leave out Zach Brown band. I'm personally, I and mean, this is probably going to, uh, piss some people off, but I'm not a huge Zach Brown fan. So I would leave them out, but I do. Lo- I love Stapleton and Florida Georgia Line. You can never go wrong with that. I'll, I'll, put,
1: I'll put my input here. Stapleton and concert is unbeatable. So you have really? to. Yeah, I saw him uh, with a, a former Dutchman intern in Hartford a few years ago. Probably the best concert I've ever been to. He he's insane live. So Mm-mm. you know who
2: actually I just thought of is um, my number one country artist, and it probably will be for a while. Is Riley Green.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's uh. Yeah. That's a good name there. That's um. You're you're gonna piss a lot of people off in Albany with that that anti Zach Brown band answer with how often they're at Spac. You're gonna make a lot of people mad with that.
2: I know. Sadly, I can't. I can't help it though. I had to be honest. You know.
0: Yeah. All right, Jason. You got anything else here? We good to wrap it up. Um.
1: I I just want to thank you for your time, Adam. I appreciate. You know, we've been going at this for a long time, and you know, you've been very gracious to us to be our first guest on the Palazzi Corner. So you know, thank you
0: for coming on. Yeah,
2: this No, thank a, you guys for having me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, this yeah. has been a
0: uh, a pretty lengthy interview here. So, Adam, we appreciate you bearing with us. Uh, I think it works pretty well that uh, that you don't have any roommate right now. I guess hopefully we can provide some <laughs> entertainment for you here. But you know, it's going to wrap it up here. First episode or first interview of the Platsky Corner CBA grad, Division Three Player of the Year, now Atlanta Brave, Adam Zabrowski. Um, yeah, but Adam, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you guys. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to that Adam Zbrowski interview. And once again, Jason and I would like to thank Adam for his time. And it was an over an hour long and it was, it was a great interview with Adam and I'm sure sometime in the future, once he's in the big leagues and maybe before that, we'll be having him back on here.
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, Joe, ever since we we really wrapped the interview, you know, you know how much I've been raving about this interview, how excited I am to kind of release it and how it's appreciative. I've been to Adam for his time. So you know, again, thanks again to him. Uh, we really appreciate not only his time, but his kindness, his generosity. He's willing to give us, you know, those detailed answers um, and really dive deep into every you know, question that we ask. So um, hopefully, you know, he'll be a recurring guest in the future. Um, you know, we'd be happy to have him back on. And, uh, you know, definitely it seems like we're off to a great start with this interview series. And uh, he set the bar pretty high for our, our, our future guests. I'll say that.
0: Yeah, I know when we were wrapping it up, um, I'm not, I think it was after we were done recording. And I know w- we also messaged him just thanking him for his time. Um, he seemed about as interested in coming back on as we are interested in having him back on. So I- I'm sure he's not going to be a stranger down the line. And I'm sure he'll, he'll end up being a recurring guest. And he'll, you know, he'll be not. I don't want to say our project because we're not taking literally any credit for anything he's done but he's going to be a, a fun guy to follow as we haven't gotten him from his CBA journey necessarily, but we now have the backstory and I'm looking forward to following him in his, his baseball route through the minors and hopefully up to the majors and we'll keep our eye on him. And he, he's almost like a product of the, uh, of the Palazzi corner. He's, 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 like our first son.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's exactly. like, yeah, we look like bandwagoners though. He just hit 500 and St. John Fisher got drafted by the Braves and, and now we're hopping on the bandwagon, but, yeah.
0: We're getting on the bandwagon decently early though, because with how this guy is as a person and how this guy is as a ball player, there's going to be a lot of people hopping on the bandwagon later.
1: Yeah. And and that's something that's you know, we're we're very excited because you know, I think, you know, even though I don't think we know a ton of professional athletes, it's always cool to hear about people that say, Oh, I knew this guy when. And hopefully one day that will be us talking about Adam Zabrowski, you know, maybe catching him in the in the uh, the Braves uniforms or in, in at City Field playing the Mets or in the system, whatever, Um, you know, hopefully he spends some time up here in the, uh, the Northeast area with the Braves system, but uh, you know, hopefully we'll uh, keep a close eye on him and uh,
0: see how he tracks over the next few years. Jay, I'm actually sure you remember once, once we stopped uh, recording, I'm sure you remember, he said that when he's with the Braves and if they ever play against the Mets or the Yankees up here in New York, he guaranteed us um, first level tickets. Yeah, I think he said right behind home plate. So we can like, yeah. get a real good view
1: of how how he how he's you
0: know grown as a catcher. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. so uh that's gonna wrap it up here for episode one. We appreciate everyone tuning in for both the segments and as well as the Adam Zabrowski interview. If if you did end up sitting through it, it was a ball of an interview to listen to, and we appreciate everyone tuning in. So it's gonna wrap it up. Joey alongside Jason Palatsky here on the Palatsky Corner. Go follow us Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the Palatsky Corner. My Instagram and Twitter, Joey Platsky. Jason's Instagram and Twitter, Jason Platsky. And that'll wrap it up here for episode one of the Platsky Corner.